Heavenly Father, thank you for, for James, Lord. We thank you for our brother. Thank you for um, the gift you've given him of, of speaking your word to us, Lord. And, and we pray your blessing on him this morning. It's a, a big, weighty word this morning. Um, Lord, we pray that you would, uh, through your spirit, speak through him. Lord, that you would uh, help us to really understand and take on board what it is that you want to say to us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Morning, everyone. Great, great to see you all. If you're uh, new here today, then my name's James. I'm part of the leadership team here at New Life. It's great to have you if you're visiting. Hope you felt comfortable and at home amongst us. Uh, we're at the moment in a series on 1 Corinthians, um, looking at what it means to be a gospel-shaped church, a church that, and a people that are shaped by the gospel. And um, <clears throat> we're on to chapter 14. The first chap- book um, passage that I'm going to read from is actually in Acts 2, so you might to flick to Acts 2 uh, first, because that's the first passage um, I'll read. Uh, we've had a couple of weeks break, but glad to be getting back into it now, and uh, we'll do it up till Christmas, and there'll be a couple of weeks after Christmas, and then we'll have finished the, the series, and we'll be on to something new. Uh, I wonder what your experience of uh, church gatherings is, <clears throat> whether you've been a Christian all your life, or You've just turned up this Sunday, or you've kind of occasional visitor. I wonder if you've ever been confused by what went on, a bit baffled as to what was said. Uh, maybe somebody said something you kind of thought, I haven't a clue what they're thinking or what they're saying, or whether you've ever gone away feeling like you know as much afterwards as you did beforehand, or possibly even less, <laughs> or um, maybe like you just don't know the jargon. Like you kind of need some sort of special phrase book to kind of understand the things that people are saying. <clears throat> I wonder if it's ever been a weird experience. You know, we just, what was that? <laughs> what was that about? What, what just happened there? I don't have any frame of reference for what that was. I wonder how you typically feel when you come away from gathering together with the church, whether you've been to church. Uh, I wonder... Uh, what the effect or the impact has been on you. Today's passage that we're going to have a look at uh, will help us um, bring perspective to that. It will help us understand God's heart and God's desire for what Sunday gatherings when we gather together as a church should be, and indeed when we meet throughout the week in house groups. We'll give a bit of perspective to it. will help us understand what the effect and impact of our gathering together should be. Um, just to recap, because it was a couple of weeks now, previously we were in 1 Corinthians 13. The whole passage was about how love is necessary to church life, um, to be truly spiritual and to have any kind of lasting spiritual impact. Um, love is absolutely necessary. And um, we talked about how um, in order for us to have any impact on one another and to truly love each other, and we can feel overwhelmed by that and inadequate, but by filling us with his spirit, Jesus fills us with his supernatural love for others so that we embody his love. And that is to be the kind of base, the foundation, if you like, of us then being here amongst each other and encouraging one another, building each other other up. Um, And we talked about how this will lead us to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, as Paul writes at the beginning of the passage we'll look at uh, today. <clears throat> the, the spirit-inspired contributions in our gatherings 
will come from a sense of love, of wanting to do each other good, to encourage and build one another up. And Paul's previously said in the passage that we've, passages that we've looked at to desire the greater gifts. And he's had this particular emphasis on prophecy, as he does in the passage today. And that's kind of the focus of our morning. But before we get into the passage, I wanted to give us, uh, first of all, um, just a little bit of background to what do we mean by prophecy? Um, what do we understand it to mean? And to just do a sweep throughout the whole of Scripture, to think about the Old Testament, to think about Jesus, uh, the New Testament, uh, to think about Pentecost in particular, and understand what prophecy looks like in Scripture, to enable us to place, when I start talking about prophecy and we read the passage, we've got a bit of a context and a bit of understanding of how prophecy fits in in the whole of uh, Scripture. Um, and enable us to think about as well how we're going to practice prophecy uh, as a church together. Um, if you're not a Christian here today, maybe you've never heard of pr- prophecy or a prophet. Um, maybe think of that as being somebody who predicts the future. Or maybe you've just heard of the Lost Prophets, the band, and you're confused as to what, what the two have got in common, which is understandable. But hopefully this will be helpful. So when we think of the word prophet or prophecy, I wonder what flicks through our mind. Perhaps a kind of mystical, kind of bit, bit odd, bit weird, bit otherworldly, um, strange diet, stain, strange dress uh, code. Um, but what we're actually thinking about is God's representatives, ones who are bringing a message from God, delivering a message that he had told them. So for example, Moses gets told, go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Or in Amos, this is what the Lord says. There's a sense of I'm bringing a message from the Lord to God's people in the Old Testament. And there's other prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, um, Isaiah, and so on. But there's also women, Miriam, Deborah, Huldah. Um, We hear as well of bands of prophets, groups of people who were prophets, who went around prophesying. And they spoke not from a sense of human will, but they spoke... Um, carried along by the Holy Spirit, Peter says in, his, uh, in his, one of his letters. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But they were held by a really high standard. Um, if they misspoke God's work, they were judged and killed for it. Um, they were um, advisors of the kings of Israel. They gave warnings to people to repent and to turn from the way that they had been living to live a new way. So you might think of the famous example of Nathan the prophet comes to David after he's um, had an affair and murdered the wife of uh, the husband of the woman he had an affair with. Um, and Nathan warns him to repent about it. But they also bring guidance and encouragement. Ultimately, they were revealing God's nature, telling the people of God what God was like, what he was like in his character, in his person, in his in his nature, and encouraged them to repent, to be faithful to God, keep the covenant, to fight injustice, to remember the poor, to turn from idolatry and from empty works, from just keeping up appearances. They reminded the people of the promises of God, the things that God had spoken to them, and the blessings and the the fruitfulness that comes from obedience. And they're often killed for these things. But we get a bit of a break at the end of the Old Testament, and uh, about 400 years later, John the Baptist comes on the scene saying, repent, the kingdom of God's at hand. And he's talking of Jesus. He's making a way for the great prophet, 
Jesus, God's word made flesh, dwelling amongst us in flesh like you and I. And so Jesus um, promises as well to send his spirit. It says in Hebrews, doesn't it, that long ago, um, in many ways, it spoke through the fathers and the prophets in the Old Testament, as Hebrews 1.1, but in more recent times through his son. God has spoken his word through his son by giving us himself in human flesh, in body, just like you and I, to speak God's word to us and to show us and reveal to us what God is like in his nature. And then Jesus promises to send the spirit to guide us in truth, to tell us what's coming and to reveal more of himself. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was on particular people, particular times, particular places, to bring a particular message filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, But in the New Testament, we see that it's not just special individuals who are filled with the Holy Spirit to bring a message. It's that all people are to be filled with the Holy Spirit and that all, the Spirit would be poured on all flesh and all would be able to prophesy. Um, So let's have a look at Acts 2 because we kind of see that key moment at Pentecost. Jesus ascended into heaven. He said to the disciples, wait in the upper room. Wait there for my Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes like a mighty rushing wind on them. Tongues of fire above their heads. Fills them with his Holy Spirit. They go out and spill into the streets looking like drunk men. Talking about the things of God and proclaiming the gospel in the languages of the people that are there. Um, And then it gets to this passage where Peter stands up and brings the gospel. Uh, Acts 2 verse 14. Uh, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, 9am. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And this is something God's spoken about all the way through the Old Testament. There's a time when uh, people were grumbling about somebody other than Moses prophesying, and they, you know, he says, not expecting him to be jealous, he says, no, I wish that all would prophesy. And it comes here at this moment at Pentecost, the Spirit comes, so that all would be filled with the Spirit, so that all could prophesy. And so rather than it being Holy Spirit-filled prophets, we now have all people filled with the Spirit who could prophesy. In the Old Testament, we get the infallible word spoken through the prophet, whereas now it needs to be tested and weighed in order to determine whether it's good or not for us to kind of decide whether it's right. And we'll talk a bit more about that later. So the New Testament prophecy is the Holy Spirit speaking to the church. It helps lift our eyes from our present situation to see God, to see Jesus, to be pointed to him, to reveal Jesus and his nature and his purposes in his church to the nations, um, to reveal his glory through the church. So the focus isn't really prediction of the future. The focus is on the church's present situations, like in the letters in Revelation. It's to what's going on in the church now, what's going on in people's lives and in their hearts and minds, and it's to lift their vision to Jesus, 
to the glory of him and his church, to the nations. Jesus says this himself, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. This is John 16. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. He will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. So what does this actually look like in New Testament church practice? Um, first of all, Ephesians 4, uh, verse 11, we've already, we preached on this, so we did a series on it a while back, where we talked about how there's um, pe- people given to the church by Jesus uh, take offices of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher to serve the church, to equip them for ministry, to build up the body, to build up the church, to maturity, to help us um, be like Jesus. And so there's people that serve though in those ways and serve the church to help it grow and mature uh, and to minister. In Acts 11, uh, we see a band of prophets traveling to Jerusalem from, uh, sorry, from Jerusalem to Antioch. In Acts 13, the prophets play a part in sending out Paul and Barnabas to the Gentiles. In Acts uh, 11 and 21, Agabus is called a prophet. So we seem to have people in the New Testament who are called prophets and hold, if you like, an office. They're a person who's a a gift to the church, to serve the church, to help it mature and to serve. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, which we've done recently, God appointed prophets, a person, not necessarily a gift, but a person. Verse 29, Paul then rhetorically asks, are all prophets to which the implication is, or the expected answer is, no. But then in uh, chapter 14, verse 1 and 5, which we'll read today, he encourages all people to prophesy. And in verse 24, he talks about the problem of all people prophesying at once. Um, The implications of Peter's preaching at Pentecost is that the prophecy Joel gave has been fulfilled and that the Spirit has been poured out on all people. So, so what's going on here? One, we've got seem to have individuals who are called prophets, and yet we're told that the Spirit's been poured out on all people to prophesy, and you wouldn't have Paul encouraging people to earnestly desire a gift they couldn't attain if it was just going to be for particular individuals. So what is going on there? Well, it seems to be um, that there are some who frequently and effectively moved in the gift of prophecy. So that was a gift that they were... Um, kind of more fluent in, if you like, and they ministered as prophets to the churches. But also the gift of prophecy is available to all in the church as the Spirit has been poured out on all people. So that when we come together and we're gathered like this, there'll be times when the Spirit inspires somebody over here and over there and down here to bring something and contribute to a meeting. But are all prophets? No, Paul says. But yet there are people who are prophets who seem to frequently and effectively move in that gift. So our practice would be to welcome those who frequently and effectively prophesy, who you might call a prophet, to help lay a foundation along with um, those who we call apostles, what really means fathers, sent ones, to help lay foundations for a church. Um, to help us, give us a sense of what God's calling us to as a people, to lift our eyes to Jesus and his purposes and us specifically as new life, as a church. 
um, what his purpose in us is and what our ministry would be. Um, just as it says in Ephesians 2.20. Um, but it would also be to encourage us all to be filled with the Holy Spirit, given that we can all prophesy and we can all be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can all be built up, encouraged, comforted, just as the passage today is going to say. So it's both a person who comes and serves the church, but also a gift that's available to all. There are some who move fluently, effectively and frequently in the gift, and there are some of us who bring contributions from time to time when we're gathered together. That seems to be what's going on in the New Testament and uh, what we'd be doing here. That's probably the longest introduction you'll ever get, isn't it? (laughs) Should we have a look at our passage then? I tried to find a way of doing that quicker, but I thought better for us to understand the context of prophecy before we get into the passage than have all sorts of questions beforehand and then be confused by what we read. So uh, let's have a look. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, and I'll read to 5. (coughs) <coughs> the passage is kind of really 1 to 25, but um, we've broken it up so that we can talk about prophecy this week, and I'll talk about tongues next week. Um, but he kind of intertwines them. Uh, so, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. No one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation or comfort. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. It kind of gets at the heart of, why do you come to church every Sunday? Why bother gathering here as we do every week? Are we kind of just doing what's tradition, just for the sake of it, um, to feed ourselves, to kind of meet with my personal saviour and Lord? What's what's the point of coming together? What should be central in our hearts and minds when we get together on Sundays and when we meet in house groups? And it links with the reason that Paul seems to say, rather nonchalantly, um, prophecy is better. Verse 1, especially that you may prophesy Verse 5, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater, earnestly desire the higher gifts. But what makes them better? Because they all come from the Holy Spirit, don't they? So you would kind of think that all of the gifts would be of equal value, wouldn't you? They're all coming from the Spirit, so they all come from God, so of equal measure. Is, he, Paul, is Paul talking about prophecy being inherently better than the other gifts? Or is there something else behind it, because it would seem odd, wouldn't it, if he was saying that they were inherently better. And no, what he's saying is, is that the reason that prophecy is better in this scenario here, where we're gathered together as a church, is because when it comes to tongues, our, um, the direction of our tongues is to God, 
It's to praise him and to, uh, to pray to him, to give him glory as a personal and private devotion to him. Whereas when we uh, prophesy, the direction is towards the church. It's for the building up of other people. It's to do other people good. Opening your mouth in front of 70-ish other people on a Sunday spontaneously takes a bit of guts. And you might, you know, it's to, for other people. It's not for your own self, you know, sense of whatever it might be. It's directed towards others. Tongues builds up yourself, whereas prophecy builds up the church. Tongues are directed towards God in personal prayer and praise, whereas prophecy is directed towards others for their good. See, Paul's whole focus in the passage up till now has been to realign the Corinthians' selfish, proud, individualistic posture with the gospel of Jesus. It's to take their um, selfish, proud, individualistic um, posture and realign it with the gospel of being others-oriented, of being um, humble like Jesus, of being community based on love, following the example of Jesus, the one who humbled himself to even death on a cross, the one who's laid down his life for others, the one whose greatest concern was for those, of, for other people, for those of us who've benefited from his forgiveness through his death on the cross. The whole purpose of his coming was not for himself. He was already enjoying perfect community and harmony with the Father and the Spirit, triune, since eternity past, receiving the love and adoration of the Father, loving the Father back in perfect community. He didn't need anything. He's come for us um, as a man, laid down his life on a cross so that we could know forgiveness, so that our guilt could be washed away, so that we could know what it means to be free from sin, our sin nailed to a cross, as I was speaking about last week. And knowing that our life is caught up with him eternally and we're seated with him in heavenly places. That's the nature of Jesus and his sacrifice for us. He's humbled himself even to a cross, even to death on a cross, for you and I, for his church, for his people, for his bride, for his body, to reveal his glory in us. So the point of our gathering here together on Sundays and throughout the week, our focus and our attention is to be Jesus and his church, his family, his body. It's to be one another. So when we come, our greatest concern isn't my benefit, my welfare, not even really my personal relationship with God, my worship, my ministry to bring, or my gift. That's not the main concern. The main concern is one another. It's the church. It's the purpose we're gathered together on a Sunday. So we must rid ourselves of any sense of individualism, of sense of me and my God, me and my personal saviour, me and my ministry, me and the way God has gifted me, me and what I'm about. And what we must have is a sense of what Jesus had, which is laying our lives down for one another, for his church, for his people, together as one. We have a ministry together as a church to Beckles, to Waveney, and to the ends of the earth, to the nations. It's not my relation, it's not me and my ministry. It's 
our ministry together as a people. So the priesthood of all believers is not that each member would have his own ministry doing his own thing. The priesthood of all believers is that we have a ministry together, a service together as a church to the people in our town and in our villages. And as a body, we work as different members towards that one purpose of serving and loving one another and of reaching out to our towns and villages and communities. So the, some application for us. Do we, when we come on a Sunday morning, um, in the rush of getting children ready and packing bags and whatever your Sunday morning is like, do we avail ourselves to God for him to use us to benefit the people we're going to see? So do you have in mind as you come in and you walk in on a Sunday, who needs blessing this morning? Who needs my encouragement? Who needs my love? Who needs what I might bring to them? Because, I mean, you know, all of us are coming with some sort of need, aren't we? That's part of the point we're gathered. We need Jesus. And we help one another to see him clearly and to experience his love. So do we avail ourselves to the Lord and to his spirit to spontaneously prompt us? That person just needs a word of encouragement, maybe before the meeting. That person needs to be asked how their week was and how such and such situation is going. The church needs this encouragement, which I feel God is prompting me with, this prophecy that he's bringing. So do you come with an expectation that God could speak through you? Because if we do, what we should see is that each morning, there might be some who frequently and effectively move in the gift of prophecy. But all of us, if we're filled with the Spirit, can prophesy. And we should expect him to inspire prophetic words at any moment in each of us ready to speak to us for our encouragement and our building up. Um, so, what is... What was the other thing? Sorry, I think I'm skipping ahead too quickly. Oh, yeah, and the other thing was, do we hold on tightly to my ministry, the kind of the thing that I'm about, the thing I do in new life? Um, I was so encouraged uh, visiting house groups. I visited one this week people talking about the ways in which they had served and the roles they'd had in new life over the years. Um, the sense of doing whatever needed doing at the time. Because we were about this at the time. I think some of the ladies were talking about keep fit. Was that, was that, have I got that right? Keep fit? Some of you remember that? Or mums and toddlers or whatever it might have been. Doing what was needed at the time for the mission that you were on as a church. And so is that the case, that we come ready to serve in whatever way is needed to help further the purposes of God in his church together? Um, and the third thing is the, the importance of understanding. So what is the nature of prophecy over and above tongues that makes it more beneficial for us as we gather as a church? Because Paul isn't saying that tongues aren't important because he says that he wishes all could speak in tongues so they could build themselves up in private prayer and devotion. However, his focus in this passage isn't the personal and private. His, his focus is when the church is gathered together on a Sunday morning. He's addressing the issues in the Corinthians gathering together. So his, imp, his focus is the impact, the effect of their getting together and the building up of the church community, its growth and maturity. So he says, verse 2, when someone speaks in tongues, they aren't understood by anyone 
unless there's an interpretation, verse 5, which we'll unpack a bit more next week. When someone prophesies in English, when we're together, we all understand it, usually, (laughs) and we're all encouraged by it. It does us good. It builds us up. The Corinthians have been, like, babbling away in tongues, like, loudly, one over the other. Somebody over here would start bringing a tongue. Then this person over here brings a tongue, loudly, so that everyone can hear it. But then there's talking over each other. And somebody over here starts prophesying. Somebody at the back starts... And they're all just doing it spontaneously, but without any sense of order, talking over one another. And so people sat there are just completely confused, completely baffled as to what's going on or what's being said, and not being built up and encouraged by it because they can't hear one another and they can't understand the things that each other are saying. And so what matters most when we're gathered here is that people understand what's being said and therefore are built up by what they, they hear. It meant that visitors to the Corinthians meetings were confused. They just presumed the people in the meeting were mad, a bit crazy. Later in chapter 14, it says, if visitors understand what you're prophesying and God speaks to their heart through the prophecy, then it can lead them to repent, lead them to turn their life towards him and say, God is really among you. They really realize that God is really present, that he's really here, that he's real to them. This can't happen if visitors don't understand what's going on or what's being said. So therefore, it matters for both us as a church, family, and for visitors that come and visit us, that we understand what's being said and that we understand um, what's going on. So some kind of practical application, given that prophetic is a practical thing we do, spend a decent amount of time applying um, this. Uh, The first is... I've got five points, I think. Um, The first is to bear in mind what can get in the way of our being understood. (laughs) And that's all sorts of things. So Paul has in mind here, speaking in tongues without an interpretation. You're babbling away in another language. It doesn't get interpreted. It's loud and everybody's hearing it. It's public. And so he says, bring an interpretation. Then people can understand and people can be encouraged by it. But we could also apply it to other things, not if we're overly mystical and spiritual and it just comes across as weird or people just don't understand what we're saying. If we um, perhaps use lots of religious jargon, uh, I know I can be guilty of that. I've been in church since I was a kid, washed by the blood of the Lamb, righteous and holy and all those words to a visitor. I mean, we all know that in our culture people are becoming less religiously... Um, uh, literate, aren't they? People know less about the Bible, they know less about the stories that we read, they know less about the language we use. And so more and more, to a visitor, we need to explain the things that we say so that they understand the thing that we're bringing. And we need to bear that in mind when we pray from our seats and when we bring prophetic words. Is this something that a visitor, if they're sat in here and they've never been to church before, will they understand what you said? Because otherwise, it's difficult for them to acknowledge that God is among you if they don't understand what's said. And is it going to... Will we even understand it? <laughs> I know sometimes I've heard a prophecy in church and I'm like, oh, no idea what that person said. <laughs> I just don't understand it. Um, and we need to in order for us to be built up and encouraged. And that means as hosts, whoever's leading, anchoring, shepherding the meeting, will need to explain at times what's being said. 
just to bring some clarity to kind of pinpoint the emphasis and what somebody was contributing. Um, and we also need to make sure we're loud enough. I, I heard some of you kind of say, I can't quite hear things when people are praying. Is, is that true for some of us? You don't, yeah, okay, I'm seeing some nods. Thanks, <laughs> Andrew, you can't hear me now. Um, and we need to. So that's probably something we need to address. Somebody needs to have a microphone. Either we're going to come to you with a microphone so when you speak we can hear you, or you need to come to the front and use a microphone here so that we can all hear it. Um, second thing, we need to use our minds to consider what we're bringing when we contribute in meetings. Um, so if we're unsure it makes sense, we can check with somebody around us, you know, whoever's shepherding the meeting or whatever you want to call it, hosting the meeting, is there to kind of, you know, check things with, you know, I'm not really sure if this really makes sense. I feel like God's trying to say something that's all muddled and you need to unpick it a little bit. Then they're there to help you. Or we can just turn to the person next to you. Maybe, is it the right time to contribute? You know, sometimes you've got something to bring. You're like, not quite sure whether this fits with the things that people have said before. Am I going off on a track here? You share it with somebody and they go, oh no, this links because that links with this and that kind of joins together. And you couldn't see it before, but when you share it with somebody else, they go, oh no, that fits, great, bring it. Or they go, no, you're right, that is a, taking us off over here and God's saying this at the minute. So he might get to that later on, but let's just pause on it for a second. Or um, is it biblical? You know, you feel God saying something, you're like, oh, I'm a bit muddled here, I need some help. You come and bring it with, to one of us and we can help unpick whether that fits with New Testament Christianity. Will it encourage what type of contribution are you bringing? You know, sometimes you've got something to bring, but you're not quite sure what it is. Am I bringing a report about something that's happened, a testimony, a story? Is it a prayer? Is it a prophecy? Is it, what is it? And sometimes you need some, we need some help in unpicking what that is. And sometimes you've got the, you've got the prophecy. So like maybe you've got a picture in your mind or you feel God's saying something, but you don't know what the meaning of it is. And sometimes somebody else will have that. So this is the third point. We do this together. Somebody has the picture. Somebody else brings the meaning. Somebody brings the word. Somebody else explains the meaning of it. Somebody explains a dream they have. Someone else brings the explanation of it. Um, what you've got to bring has got multiple threads. Somebody else helps bring clarity to it. Um, someone else hones down and emphasizes what you're trying to say. So we do it together. We'll turn to the person next to you and share it. We'll come and share it with whoever's leading the meeting. The fourth thing is, shepherds are responsible for this. Those who are uh, leading meetings, who are responsible for leading us, as a church, are responsible for helping lead us in this, helping us to know how to respond. So when somebody brings a prophetic word, we're to respond to it, to help lead us into that, um, to help bring clarity when things aren't quite concise. You know, when your words get away from you, can prophetic word goes on and on and on. And if you weren't quite concentrating at some point, you lose the track and you don't know what was said. And sometimes... The shepherds, you know, whoever's hosting needs to bring some clarity to it. And, or if, you're, if you think this is really long-winded in my head, you share it with somebody and they go, I think your emphasis is that bit there. Just bring that bit there. Don't worry about the other stuff because it will crowd it out. But this is the thing that I think God's saying through you. Um, they'll help us bring order. 
They'll help lead us in weighing the prophetic. I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, they'll help feed the flock by connecting scripture to the things that people bring. You know, somebody brings a prophetic word and then somebody will come up and say, I think Chris did it this morning. Somebody brought something prophetic or prayed and Chris came up and brought a scripture that connected to the thing that was brought. Do you remember that? I forget what it was. Something, something from the high priestly prayer. It was, but he, he connected them. And so that's helping feed us as a flock um, to build our understanding, connecting it to the preach, like I'm doing now. Uh, to care for people in what's being brought. Sometimes things can be brought which are harmful, which are discouraging, which put us down and do the opposite of what prophecy is meant to do. In that case, whoever's shepherding, leading, you know, the leaders are, are meant to get in and protect the flock, bring truth, help correct and bring it in line with what scripture says and what's going to encourage and build up the church. So that's four. And five, um, we weigh the prophetic. Um, so I'm stealing this. I should credit Steph Liston with this. Um, these are basically his points, and I've added one. Um, we don't weigh prophecy by going, is that a bit crazy and a bit odd? No. All right, well, it must be true. That's not quite weighing prophetic. It isn't absolutely bonkers, so we'll take that on board. Sometimes prophetic is, you know, bonkers, and we should, you know, it's good. Because <laughs> God's saying something that's um, out of our um, kind of line of vision, if you like. Um, so how do we weigh the prophetic? Uh, five things. A, is this mouthpiece a reliable ministry? So if we invite somebody to be a prophet, to lay a foundation and speak to us, as this moment as a church, which we will do at some point, we're going to invite somebody who's a reliable mouthpiece, who has a track history of speaking to churches, bringing prophetic words that have helped direct them as a church and been successful. It has been what God is saying, they've acted on it, and it's brought fruit to them as a church. Because we want the mouthpiece to be reliable. And that'd be the case, so if you receive personal prophecy... That's something you need to bear in mind, because if you hold a prophetic word that's not quite in balance with how reliable it might be, sometimes you take on something that's not necessary. So I'll give you an example. Jess and I recently had some prophetic words about uh, the house we might get. The mouthpiece, they're stepping out in prophetic gift, um, and so we take it on board and we remember it. But we're not holding on to it like we're desperately looking for a house that's got this, this, and this, because they were practical details. We're holding on to it lightly. But say we go and visit a house, and we think, gosh, this, this just feels right, and there's that thing that that person spoke about, then it brings confirmation. We go, oh, great. God seemed to have been saying something through that person. Um, so there are folks we will embrace and value their prophetic ministry. Uh, B, uh, does it chime with other prophetic words? So is it corroborated? Does it, is it confirmed by other things that have been said to us? Um, C, does it reflect the tone of New Testament Christianity? Is it completely out of kilter with the Bible? Or does it look like something that would be said to the New Testament church? D, does it reflect the character of God? This is a tricky one because we shouldn't weigh words by our own yardstick of faith. I haven't quite got faith for that, so it can't be. Mm, I think sometimes God will say something that makes you go, <gasps> and cling on to him. For, well, if, if it's true, Lord, make it happen. Uh, send your spirit. Uh, so we shouldn't measure it by our own courage and boldness. We should be able to see beyond ourselves to count the cost. 
And E, does it encourage, build up, and comfort, as this passage says, or does it discourage? So that's how we'll, we'll weigh prophetic words. Does the band want to come back up? I'll um, summarise, and then we'll, we'll sing one song in response, and uh, we'll put this into practice next week, because we haven't quite got time to put it into practice now. <laughs> Uh, whatever your previous or current experiences of church, perhaps you're a Christian or, or you're unsure about church, or whether you've been confused by church in the past and you've been along for a long time, God's desire is for us as people to understand what's going on in our gatherings, to understand what's being said that, so that together we can be built up, encouraged as we hear God's voice together that reveals Jesus, points us to him, and reminds us of his purposes in his church to reveal his glory. So we should leave here every Sunday being encouraged that we've met with God, that God is really present amongst us, having experienced the love of his church as we've ministered to one another, clearer about Jesus, clearer about our need for him, clearer about how worthy he is of our praise, and desiring as well to serve together as a church into the purposes and the things that he has for us so that Jesus is honoured and glorified in this church together. Should we stand and uh, I'll pray and we'll, we'll sing together and then Chris will lead us. Father God, we thank you that you're a speaking God, that you're not silent, we're not standing here every Sunday, um, you're not voiceless um, and leaving us confused or wondering what you might say. We, we hear your voice, we thank you that you've poured out your spirit on all flesh, that we live in a time when we can all hear your voice, know what you're saying, that at a time when we can all love one another and be built up and encouraged by the words that you bring. We thank you that in Jesus you have shown us the example of what it means to love one another, to lay down our lives for each other and for the church. And we pray that you would send your spirit on us now to fill us so that we can serve one another as you have served us, so that we can lay down our lives for one another as you'd laid down your life for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.